subject lines. Even before I open an email, if it's like sent, if every word is capitalized, I doesn't feel like a communication, right? Email is a communications tool before it's a marketing tool. Your subject lines need to be sentence case. Like capitalizing everything. This is not a headline. A subject line is not a headline. A subject line is not, even headlines I would argue need to be written in sentence cases. So that is the one thing that I find really upsetting. It's an easy win, right? Like come into your subscriber's inbox like you're a friend or like they want to listen, hear from you rather than like a newspaper boy announcing today's headlines at the end of the street corner, right? Please don't do that. Today in Inboxing, Summer Owais, email strategist and copywriter for SaaS and e-commerce businesses. All right, welcome back to another episode of Inboxing. I'm your host, Hill Berg. Uh, Inboxing is brought to you by the amazing folks at OnGage. If you haven't been, if you haven't heard of OnGage or you haven't checked them out, you absolutely should and get a demo and see what they can do for you. You know, obviously as an email marketer, I've worked on a lot of platforms and it reminds me a lot of, uh, I don't want to say what brand, but basically it allows you to do so much. And it's really like incorporating data into it is the cinch to make, um, <laughs> to make it work. I said I lost my train of thought. Yeah, but OnGage, I'm talking about OnGage. Yeah, so just about OnGage, that it's a fantastic platform. And, and if you're really interested, I encourage you to go to hellberg.com slash OnGage. If you go through that route, it'll redirect you to OnGage. But what that will do for you is uh, make sure that you get 10% off on the first six months. So that's important. Yeah, another news, if anyone is interested in sponsoring in OnGage, you could do that. There are opportunities to do that. And uh, the way to find out more about that is by going to hilloberg.com slash sponsor. So there still actually are a lot of opportunities. So yeah, just check that out and let me know. And uh, finally, we've launched uh, on Gate. We've launched season two. Like we, these are recordings. These are live recordings. And that's how we create the episodes. But, uh, but really the magic happens after the recording where it goes to the editing floor. And Daniel, my amazing producer, he uh, has the music and, and really comes alive and turns to a podcast. It makes it for a much more enjoyable listen. So I you know, encourage everyone to go check out the podcast because it's now it's now out on all platforms. Episode one with uh, Ben Malky is live and published and available wherever you get your podcast platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, just look for Inboxing and, uh, and take a listen. I'm very excited about today's guest. Uh, for one, we haven't had a copywriter on in a long time. And I love talking about copy because I love, I love great email copy. I feel like it's such a way to develop a brand. Um, I was so disappointed when I couldn't, I was supposed to have Chubby's on. I was going to be, I was going to have Ashley from Chubby's on in December or January. And uh, apparently Chubby's was, was acquired and then we couldn't do that. But I haven't done a, you know, copy-based email you know, episode about copywriting in a long time. So I'm really excited about uh, talking about copy, but really I'm interested, I'm really excited about today's guest because I just feel like she's such an interesting story and I don't really know the whole story, but I know that, I mean, I don't want to say anything wrong. <laughs> so maybe just wait till she gets here and she can explain her story. From what I could tell from LinkedIn and limited digging was that she's a Pakistani Muslim woman who came out of that world and you know, became a force in the email marketing community as a copywriter with a course. So I just think that's amazing just to be able to do that 
really like blows my mind. And um, I'm really excited to hear about that and hear about the challenges that she's faced because there's no question that's not an easy thing. I mean, there's a lot of challenges, so tell us about the challenges and I'm really excited to hear all about it. So without any further ado, let me let her in and we'll talk for the first time ever, really. Welcome to Inboxing, Summer OS. Hey, Lily. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank God. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. And, Just uh, apologies for being a few minutes late. Kids at school, you know, you get a random yeah, call yeah. To rush. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. I normally get my kids out in the morning. My wife is a physical therapist yeah. and she usually starts at eight o'clock. It's now nine o'clock local time. But this morning she was starting at nine. So I said, you know, I have a podcast at nine. Like it'd be really helpful if you got you got out. So I was able to, to go break. Yeah. <laughs> and then she got the kids out and then I was at the breakfast and come up and set up and everything, you know, calmly. But then it was funny just to hear you, you know, you're running late. You had to go to school, drop off the kids. So like we're all, <laughs> you know, trying to, uh, you know, to work our, you know, balance I've uh, learned kids and to family just... and everything. Exactly. I've learned to be unapologetic about it. Like it's life. It's going to happen. And also nobody bats an eye when it's a man doing all this stuff, right? And when all of a sudden it's a woman, then everybody has a problem. Like, let's not forget that A, we're running full-time businesses, we are full-time parents, and often we are the primary caregivers. So we've got like multiple full-time jobs that we're doing. That's another thing that we're like not acing all of those full-time jobs. Like we're probably doing shoddy jobs at it, but we're doing it. <laughs> the bare minimum we're doing. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's funny how much like we don't you know show that like this is yeah but there was a guy you know a guy posted himself like holding his baby you know on linkedin <laughs> and someone like called it out like oh that's so sweet but like would a woman do that like like yeah. no it's not much you know it's not we don't we thing. don't like, because if we worry that it's unprofessional right it's not professional and like for a guy it's like oh it's so sweet there's a guy taking care of his baby like, it's like what like that's the natural thing so it's like you know, it's like man bites, you know, dog bites man. It's not interesting. You know, oh, oh, a guy's holding a baby. That's so sweet. That's so nice to be sharing that on LinkedIn. Like, so it was a little bit the, the how unfair that was, you know, that you know, guys can do that. But I guess we don't want LinkedIn to turn into this whole like baby fest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I bet we better, we both probably get, you know, good ideas like bouncing babies to sleep and stuff like that. You know, that's, yes. Uh, <laughs> my best ideas come when I'm up in the middle of the night checking up on my kids. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I had a rough night last night. <laughs> but uh, let's jump into the material. All right. So just tell us, you know, obviously you're wearing a hijab and, you know, you're proud of it and it's in, it's part of who you are. So, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. And uh, yeah, so just go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born educated, brought up in Pakistan. And in 2007, I graduated, got married and moved to the UAE all within 10 days of these things happening. Right. And so I spent like 10 wonderful years in the UAE, came back three to four years ago, took my business full time. And I am now an email conversion strategist for SaaS and e-commerce brands. And I have worked with companies like HubSpot, Drip, Pinterest, and numerous e-commerce brands. And I love every part of my business as it stands today. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit more about like, what was the impetus? Like, is your husband from the Emirates or just? No. So you know how there's a thing in, 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 in the subcontinent where like 
people get jobs in Dubai and they move, right? So my husband's dad got a job there in the 70s. And so they moved when he was 10 months old, never lived here before we moved here four years ago, spent his entire adult life in the UAE, got educated there, had a job there. And then all of a sudden, his department shift, entire department shifted to Pakistan. And so we had no choice. Like the other option was resign or like just move. And like the job market sucks. And so we were like, it makes sense to move while they're giving us good benefits. And my business wasn't full-time at the time, and we were financially struggling because we had a growing family, lots of more financial responsibilities, but better jobs weren't coming along, raises weren't all that much. And so we decided to move, take advantage of all the benefits that his company was giving us. And it wasn't a tough move for me because I grew up here, but it was extremely tough for him and my kids who were born in Dubai. It took us a while, but we're all extremely well-adjusted now. How do you compare, like, you know, living in Pakistan versus, like, Dubai? Like, Dubai, to me... Oh, my God. Yeah, go ahead. So, (laughs) in Dubai, I could drive around alone at 4 a.m. And I've done that without any fear, right? I It is, for women, I feel like it is the safest place on earth. It is, like, my 10 years were extremely worry-free. When I moved back to Pakistan, even though I grew up here, one of the hardest things for me to adjust to was the lack of feeling safe, right? I wasn't... I was constantly on my guard. I had two girls with me. My daughters were constantly like, I was just, I got reintroduced to the idea of keeping yourself safe. And now I had two daughters and that was like added responsibility. And so it was extremely stressful. A, security is number one. Even though Pakistan is relatively safe, right? It's just a different kind of safe. I would say that. And you have to be street smart to, to live in Pakistan. The other thing was like in Dubai, I could walk into any government department and to get my work done, and it would be done like it normally is, right? Here, I have to either take my husband or my dad with me for things to get done. Otherwise, nobody takes me seriously. And it is extremely frustrating. And of course, when you grow up in a system patriarchal society like this, women learn to adapt and deal with these things. I had forgotten in those 10 years. So now that is like still a struggle for me, because instead of like adapting and learning, like I've tasted the good life, I know how bad it feels when like you walk in to get your, let's say, um, your uh, the discrepancy in your electricity bill challenged and nobody's taking you seriously. And then you have to call your dad like, I need help here. It's extremely demoralizing. But I've learned to like deal with it with the fact like I tell my dad, I'm sorry, you have to come with me. Like my husband's working. You're the retired guy in the family. You need to come <laughs> with me. Otherwise, it's not going to get done and it's just going to drag on. So that's the main difference that I feel these days. Right. So what, you know, go to the, we'll jump to the next question. What got you interested in email? Like how did that become your passion? I got my start as a content writer in uh, 2008. So when I moved to the UAE, like 10 days after graduating, I was bored. I didn't have a driver's license and so nobody was giving me a job. And this is so unique to Dubai, right? If you live in Dubai, if you've lived the expat life, then you know how important a driver's license is in, in that country. And so I was like, okay, then I ran a Google search for writing jobs online because writing was also something that I was doing in Pakistan as a freelancer. And so I found a website that was paying me $10 an article and I thought I did pay dirt, but what I'd really hate was a content mm-hmm. mill. But that was my start. And by the time I got my driver's license, the freelance bug had bit me and I was like completely unemployable at the time. And so I decided to just continue freelancing and I wrote content and eBooks for like startups and companies like Marriott and Intercontinental, MetLife, for like 10 years before I burned out, right? And when I burned out, I was like, what else do I do? Writing is the only thing I'm good at. So if not content, then there's copy. And by that time, I discovered copy hackers. 
And so I started experimenting with different types of copy, tried my way through sales pages, website pages, website copy, landing pages, did not enjoy it at all, right? And then I tried email copy because I met Val Geyser in a course and absolutely loved every bit of it. And it was I was the happiest I'd been working while I was working on my first email project. And that is pretty much how I got interested in emails. Uh-huh. And for people that don't know Val Geisler, you just are like I know she now works for Clavio, right? Yes, she does. So Val was, is an email queen. <laughs> she <laughs> got her like she has the best strategist mind I have seen. Like she is and and she taught me everything I knew in the beginning of my career, right? So Val Geiser is an email strategist like me, but and, and she's running an agency back in the day before she got snapped up by the smart people at Clavio. Got it. Okay. All right. What kind of things do you find upsetting in your own inbox? Subject lines. Like even before I open an email, if it's like sent, if every word is capitalized, I doesn't feel like a communication, right? Email is a communications tool before it's a marketing tool. Your subject lines need to be sentence case. Like capitalizing everything. This is not a headline. A subject line is not a headline. A subject line is not... Even headlines, I would argue, need to be written in sentence cases. So that is the one thing that I find really upsetting. It's an easy win, right? Like come into your subscriber's inbox like you're a friend or like they want to listen, hear from you rather than like a newspaper boy announcing today's headlines at the end of the street corner, right? Please don't do that. You're saying keep the inbox conversational. Like that's like, it sounds like that's like your number one priority. Yeah, You're not writing an ad. It's not an ad. It's not. Exactly. uh Uh-huh. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I'm guilty. I, I like I like capital case on, on subject lines. <laughs> Try sentence. Um, I feel like my preheaders are always sentence case, meaning like that's like my headline, and then like it's like oh my little now I'm talking to you, you know, like that's how I think mm. about it. <laughs> but then you start the conversation by shouting at them. Capitalization is equal to shouting. Well, I try to get their attention. I think it's like that's like <laughs> a billboard. Like that's you know, like I want you know. Um, like I and I love that like interplay, you know, between like the subject line yeah. and the preheader. Like you have that, yeah. All right. Cool. And what was your biggest mistake? Oh my god, getting cocky about my strategy brain. So, two <laughs> years ago, <laughs> there was uh, a brand that reached out to me maybe six weeks before Black Friday, Cyber Monday. They had twenty five thousand email subscribers that was built out of their customers, right? So they'd done no email marketing before then. They hadn't built their email list, but they had made these sales, right? So 25,000 people had bought from them and they had their emails and they wanted to market a Black Friday sales, right? And so I was like, you know what? This is a challenge, I can do it. Uh, and so I sat down, I created a strategy for them. I, you know, and, and we did the whole gamut. Like we warmed up their emails, we created a wait list and eventually we, we did the Black Friday, Cyber Monday promotion. It did not work. And like, did not and the only saving grace was that the client made enough money to cover all their expenses right so they uh-huh. didn't lose money and that was the only saving grace but to me that's a failure and since then i've been very conscientious about the fact uh, that a i set expectations when a brand like this reaches out to me b i don't take those projects because then that's a teaching moment because i tell them listen you need to realize that because you haven't emailed your list in so long they're not used to listing for you your list is going to suffer it's probably going to be marked as spam all of the above and so yeah this is the wrong time to run a promotional campaign you need to create an email plan and nobody wants to hear that big but 
And so the, they, they go with the Hail Mary plan, right? And, I, I, and to this day, I still say, if I had presented it as the Hail Mary plan to them, like, we can do it, but don't expect anybody uh-huh. to You set the, lo- set the expectations low. Yes, it would have been fine. And to be honest, that, that client was very, very gracious. When we did the review of how the promotion, promotion did, everybody realized why it bombed. Right. But again, hindsight is 2020 or is it 50 50? I don't know. And so if I had said the same thing to them before running the promotional campaign, they weren't in the frame of mind to listen because everybody was telling them Black Friday promotions are the ones that make you the most money, et cetera, et cetera. Right? It wasn't until they went through it and realized that Black Friday promotions don't always make you money that they realized what their mistake was. And so I feel like that has been my biggest mistake to date. All right. Uh, well, let's jump. You know, so what was your biggest win? <laughs> oh, recently I found out this win. Okay, so part of my business is also doing email strategies for SaaS businesses, right? So I focus on onboarding and retention focus. And so I had a client who came to me saying that Adobe was stopping support for Flash, right? And they, a few years ago, a couple of years before Adobe announced that they had moved their old version, which was built on Flash, and built a new version on like another HTML5 or something, right? And they had moved the majority of their users to the new version, but with Adobe announcing that it was stopping support, they realized that a big chunk of their users were still using the old version simply because they were uh, comfortable with it, right? And so they never migrated. And now they were under the gun to migrate because once Adobe stopped support for Flash, their software would start breaking up even if they tried to maintain it. So, and these were like paying users and this was a B2B SaaS company. And so they, some of these companies were paying them hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, right? And they did not want to lose that revenue. And so they came to me, we created a strategy, we implemented it. And I do a follow-up three months after an email campaign goes live, right? So when I reached out to them three months after, they gave me like the before and after data. So they said three months before your emails went live, 66,000 projects were made on the old version, right? This is a project management software. Three months after when I did a follow-up, that number had gone down to 26,000. So I was very happy with those numbers. And then I, you know, I contracted a case study buddy, Joel Kletke's company, to create a case study out of it. Oh, and nice. when his team sent me the the transcript of the interview that they did with my client, turned out they got a hundred percent conversion rate. They did not lose a single client. Everybody migrated over. And I was flabbergasted with that win because I, for, for the longest time, I've been saying there's no such thing as 100% conversion rate. Like like 80%, at least 80% of your users are not going to do what you want them to do and all of that. And now I have to eat my own words because somehow <laughs> I managed to get my client 100% conversion rate. And so that has been my biggest win. That's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about the strategy? Like that, you know, that was yeah, so absolutely. absolutely. So we're doing a case study that's going to come out, of course, and I'll share it with you when it does. But basically, it was because we were short on time, I couldn't do the voice of customer research to find out. I couldn't go the usual route, right? Survey their users, interview them, talk to them to find out what was holding them back. There was just no time. And so I kind of growth hacked it a little bit where the first email I sent out to their users was like, what's stopping you from moving over to the new version, right? Small, quick, friendly email from a person in the company, text-based email that's asking them that simple question, right? And to that email, they got 500 responses. And kudos to their customer service team that replied to almost every single reply that came uh, because that's a company that really believes in taking care of their users. 
And from there, we realized that the problem was that they were like whatever concerns they had were things that the new version was dealing with. Right. And so these users just didn't realize that their life was going to get easy once they migrated. So we then decided on what the best way was to get the message across to the masses. Right. And the answer was a webinar, because this is also a company that is known for doing its training webinars for its users. So we were like, let's do what we know best. We scheduled a webinar, sent out a webinar, invite emails, and we were like very, very heavy on the benefits and the pain that they will feel once the Flash version stops working, right? And so once the webinar was held, their common misconceptions and the common questions that were cropping up were answered, and then it was one-on-one, right? So towards the end of the sequence, we went a little forceful, hey, this is happening, it's out of our hands, you need to move. And so reading the transcript, my client is telling the case study buddy interviewer that At the end of it, our customers were telling us, we know it's coming. We will move. Don't worry. It's on us. And so the conversation just completely flipped, right? From users being upset at like having their work disrupted, they were aware that a change was coming that was out of the control of like my clients and that they did have to move. And so they were mentally prepared for it. Amazing. Thank you for that. Uh, We're going to shift a little bit, but obviously we just, you know, we talked a little bit about how you're a Muslim woman. And you're operating in a, you know, mostly in the in the, yep. in the states, right? With non not that crowd. So how yeah. does that, you know, have you ever feel like discrimination or just like, you know, people feeling uncomfortable working with you? I think it would be irresponsible of me to say that I haven't been discriminated against because, like, let's face it, I am brown, I am Pakistani, I am a hijabi. It goes with the territory, right? It it's I don't want to pinpoint a certain incident or incidents, uh-huh. but I will say that it does happen, but I've learned to ignore it and move past it. So my capacity to ignore (laughs) bias and discrimination is one of my superpowers, right? I will ignore the raised eyebrow. I will ignore the offhand comment. I will ignore somebody making the conversation awkward, right? I've gotten really, really good at just bulldozing my way through communicating what I want to communicate. And if the vibe is wrong, then getting the hell out of there. And so, yes, definitely, There are times when somebody will get on a call with me and say, oh, you're wearing that thing on your head. There has been times when somebody has said, but how is your English so good, right? There have been times when somebody has asked me, do you wear the hijab to the bathroom? And people don't seem to realize how inappropriate these questions are, right? And I used to laugh it off. When I was, uh, you know, growing my business because I was afraid of rocking the board. But now I kind of call it out and I'm okay with that. And and people are also surprisingly okay with that because what I'm realizing is that they don't really realize how offensive it is. So the person who said, how is your English so good? My, my general response is, yeah, and everybody, every school is using I, mean, I didn't know that. Honestly, I didn't know that. I mean, like, I, I, it's funny. I didn't, like, you know, till, like, I started growing my own business and especially using you know, people on Fiverr, like through Fiverr, I've worked with more Pakistanis than I've ever had in my life. And, right. you know, and the surprise is like that they know English. They're, yeah, they're so, very capable. So I stand an answer yeah, now. Like, all and these so, things. Like, I think every American yeah. thinks of Pakistan as like a nuclear country that's sort of like rogue and we don't know too much about it. Like, that's, that's I think, <laughs> you know, where people are coming from, you know, like they don't actually yeah. know, you know, any Pakistani actor, actors or like, so it's such a, unknown you know so it's like oh pakistan speaks english oh pakistan is like normal <laughs> and they get normal education like yeah, we so, have radio shows hosted in english 
both languages go side by side. Yes, you know, education is a problem here, especially girl education, which is also something that I'm super passionate about and causes that I support. But for for people who do go to school, for people who do who can afford like a decent education, English is they learn to speak, read and write English at the same time as Urdu or mother tongue. So, yes, English may not be my mother tongue, but it is my first language. That's interesting. But the house you grew up in spoke Urdu or or English? No, Urdu. So, we my sisters and I when we started going to school, we started speaking English to each other as we learned, but to our parents, to the elders in the family, we always speak Urdu. Uh-huh. But on the street in Pakistan, among the younger people, younger generation. Like, yes, younger generation, English. English is okay. If you go to a restaurant, if you go to a cafe, you'll hear people speak English. If you That's go to a bazaar, you'll hear people speak Urdu. Uh-huh. Very interesting. All right, cool. I'm learning. All right. You didn't really, it sounds to me like you didn't really grow your business from Pakistan. Like you're really mostly in, um, yes. in the UAE. Um, so when I so. was in the UAE, I was freelancing part-time, right? I had no family support, child like oh my god uh childcare was super expensive there right and so i wasn't making that much money i couldn't afford like more than two hours Mm -hmm. of a babysitter per day obviously things were very limited it wasn't until i moved to pakistan and my family's here right my parents are here my sisters are here Uh, i was i had support i was able to take my business full-time because if i had a deadline or if i had a call i could talk to my parents to keep the kids for a while Right. And I was smart when I moved here. I bought a like I rented a house that was like five minutes walk from my parents. So it was really easy for my dad to like pick up my kids on the way back from from the mosque. Right. When he would be done with his prayers. And so I just I was working 12 to 14 hours like we were under huge financial uh, constraints when we moved here. And I knew that I needed to make something of my business. So I worked my ass off, basically. Right. When did you start doing the courses? You know, I know like you have, you know. Um, 2020 is the first time that I ran the course, right? I have been a voracious course taker because that's how I grew my business. Like every time I wanted to learn a new skill or learn something from some particular person and they had a course, I would take it. For years, my sister would loan me money so that I could take the course and I would tell her like, listen, I will pay you back, but you need to make sure that the money you are giving me you're okay with waiting like at least 12 months because courses don't make you immediate money, right? It is going to be at least six to eight months before like I fully learn how to implement whatever I'm learning, grow my business with it, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's what I also mean by support. Uh, Not just emotional support and like familial support, but also financial support when I needed it. So I would take courses and my big gripe with most of the courses was they were pre-recorded. That means they were getting out of date very fast. And if I didn't get in, like when the course was first launched, when the when the information was like super fresh, I was finding that the information wasn't very relevant. Right. This landscape was changing really fast for the online business world. And so when I decided to create a course, a it was extremely requested. Like I went to a copywriting conference in New York in 2019 and everybody just kept asking me, like, when are you going to talk about teach us about emails and stuff? And so my business coach at the time was like she was also attending the conference and she was like, there is a demand. You need to start thinking about it. And so I went home from the conference, outlined what I would teach, sent it to my coach. And she was like, yeah, this looks great. Let's put it on Facebook and see if there's any interest. And so I put the details on Facebook. There was a lot of interest. And so my coach was like, let's create a sales page on a Google Doc. You don't have to la- create a landing page or for it or anything. Let's just see if there's like any takers. If there aren't, you can just return everybody's money and you know be done with it. 
So I opened up 10 spots to the beta round. They got mapped up. when and, and my email list was like less than 200 people at the time. And that's when I knew that there was a demand. And I teach live. I answer questions live. And the reason I teach live is because the e- I teach a course in the e-commerce space, right? And so the e-commerce world is constantly changing. And teaching live means I can update my um, my teaching material as and when needed. And so the the information always remains fresh. How many people have taken the course like till now? Mm, I think about 65 in total. So I open limited spots, right? So the beta round was 10 people. The next round had 30 people, 36 or 37, I'm forgetting. And then this round has 21 people. Yeah, I I was on the fence. (laughs) (laughs) I I definitely considered it. All right, what do you think are the biggest stereotypes or misconceptions people have about Pakistan? I've already mentioned it, but like the English being one, right? Like you, <laughs> people in Pakistan don't speak English, please. We do. We understand it. We read it. Most of our books are in English. Um, right. The only books that well, are Pakistan in was are the part ones of India, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Until and, 1947. And India was, was, was British. Under the British rule, yes. <laughs> exactly. The garbage that comes with being under British rule. Oh, my God. But yeah, yeah. So, you know, there are remnants of uh, all of that. Uh-huh. But that's the biggest stereotype. Like people from Pakistan, A, you know, English are highly educated. B, we can kick ass when we decide to focus on something. All right. Yeah, I think people like associate it with, we have a comment. I'm just curious. I don't see it until I click it. It's garbage. I don't know who's writing. <laughs> but um, shoot, I lost my thought. Oh, nice. I think people think like hijabs. They think Taliban. They think like you know, totally, you know, yeah, burkas. <laughs> like, <laughs> so here's the thing. Totally, totally. Again, we're, we are kind of going off, ta- I, I go off tangents, and I, but I feel this is important. So you know how freedom of choice is so touted in the Western world? Like wearing the hijab, wearing the burqa is a choice. Yes, of course, there is that faction where women are forced to do it. That is wrong. But there are a vast majority of Muslim women who chose to cover up, who choose the burqa life or who choose to put on their hijab. And A, that's our choice. B, for whatever reason we're choosing, we're choosing. It's not your business. Um, Right. (laughs) And so my uh, the easiest way I used to struggle to explain the concept of hijab to people in the West, right? And until I found an analogy that they really understand. And I always tell them, just as millions of women world over do not, will not think about stepping out of their house without wearing a bra, I will not think about stepping out of the house without a hijab. And it's as yeah. simple and as complex as that. Yeah, fair. I mean, yeah, fair. It's Hebrew. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's very, uh, you know, it's a clean, nice, uh, you know, way to... And then every woman's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Your brain Women immediately there. understand that analogy. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, of course. Okay, great. Yeah, but it's it. I mean, is say, could a woman go in on the street? Are there women in the street without a without a hijab on in Pakistan? Majority of them. Majority. Majority of them. Oh, yes. okay. All right. That's yeah. a, all right. So it's not at all like Saudi Arabia. Like this. You need a, to come on a vacation to Pakistan. Yeah, I didn't Get even know it was an option. Out of you your know, head. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I can, oh, I, honestly. I don't know if, you know, Evan is really... That's fast, true. That was my next thought. I was like, oh, I don't think you can. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Look, everyone's jumping in, you know. We have, uh, you know, we now go to, we're going to Dubai. We're going to Bahrain. We're going to, you know, all these places, that you know. True. So I feel like, you know, true. Pakistan might not be so far behind, you know. Like, uh, <laughs> they might want to get on the bandwagon. Yeah. I mean, Israelis are loving, like, it's ridiculous, honestly. It's like, you know, it's uh, A it's whole messianic. new world has opened up for you. It's messianic. Like, you know... Yeah. 
you know, these enemy countries that we couldn't go to or, you know, closed and, you know, you can get shot if you go there or whatever, you know, and now it's um, Israelis are flocking there, shopping, doing business, like, it's, it's so, unbelievable. Here's the thing. Israelis were, like, still coming to places like Dubai, especially those that had dual... Oh, for sure. I mean, I have dual citizenship right? also. I yeah. could come to Pakistan yeah. as an American, I think as an American, right? Like, Americans go yeah. to Pakistan. I, think so. I have no idea about this. <laughs> you need to get the sources. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, well, what is there? Are there places to vacation in uh, in Pakistan? Yeah, Pakistan? absolutely. The northern areas are beautiful. I'd say they challenge Switzerland. Oh, really? Yep. You need is to that... you need to Google northern areas of Pakistan. Yeah. Or is that the Himalayas? Parts. Is that like near? I have to look at a map, um, you know. But yeah, no, not just the Himalayas, but also like we have meadows here, we have rivers here. It's gorgeous. All right, all right. I'll, I'll you know talk to my wife. Well, next next vacation <laughs> for sure. All right. So, well, this is actually like, how did you? What was like? What were the keys to your? I don't want to rephrase this question a little bit because I think from Pakistan doesn't really matter so much anymore. But really, what? How did you grow yourself? Like, how did you get? How, how did you get great work from like such big companies and stuff like that? By doing the work, to be honest. Like, so when I say I was working twelve to fourteen hours when I was in growth mode, I'm. It's not a joke. I'm not lying. I was literally like, would get up to give my kids food, would get up to send them and pick them up from school, would get up to go to bed, and then I would come back and park myself in my chair, right? And so I um, I don't know about influence, but my brand definitely, the more I speak, the more I show up online, my brand, um, you know, it, it's part of me, right? It grows. And the newsletter also played a huge role. Like every big thing that has happened in my business can be traced back to my newsletter, Emails Done Right. And so for like nine to 10 months, I was sending out an email consistently every week. And the more I wrote, oh. the more I realized that I was challenging the status quo of emails. And like the unofficial tagline of Emails Done Right is that I pick an email fight. And so that really set me apart because like maybe nobody's picking email fights or saying in that way. I don't know. But like... My newsletter led to an invitation to speak at Litmus Live in 2021. Somebody at Pinterest saw that talk. And a year later, when they needed help with their email notifications, they reached out to me for a consulting project. And Maybe. so it's, I play the long game, basically, where my uh -huh. brand is concerned, like, right? I don't go with short-term tactics to get clients. Um, okay. and You're not I, like I cold like, emailing. You're not doing any no. of that stuff. No, no. So I... Yeah, go ahead. Starting a newsletter, that was actually one of your biggest growth. Yeah, things. that was what it. Was that was the name of your newsletter. Emails Done Right. So just emails go to emailsdoneright.com. Okay. I'm not sure I'm on it, honestly. But I first discovered you, I think Send in Blue had you on a list, right? That uh, yes. top. That was how I first discovered yeah. you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, obviously you stand out, you know, I was like, oh, wow, cool. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could forget and, people's name and faces because I'm really bad at them, but folks don't forget my hijab. So even right, if they yeah, don't for sure. know what my name is, they will remember that girl in the headscarf. <laughs> right, for sure. Email marketers who run high volume email programs know that the ease with which you can make decisions impacts campaign success. And that's why OnGage made sure it's easy to act on, optimize and leverage your data. With OnGage, you'll be able to send your customers on personalized journeys based on the data from an action-based dashboard and with in-depth reporting. To learn more, visit hilleberg.com slash ongage and discover what ongage can do for you.
All right. So where do you get ideas? You know, like copy ideas and everywhere. So especially my inbox. All my copy ideas, because I specialize in email, are come from my inbox, and not just from what people brands are doing right, but also what brands are doing wrong. Right. So I learn as much from people who are doing things wrong as I do from people who are doing things right in email. And the reason I learn more from people who are doing it wrong is because when I start thinking about it, I'm like, okay, so this feels wrong, but why does it feel wrong, right? What about it bugs me? And so there's an analysis that goes in that helps me understand why something isn't working. So it's not just my opinion at all. It's also like their intent, this entire thought process and research behind it. The way I see it is like pulling a thread, right? When you start, research is like pulling a thread. When you start noticing stuff, you follow the path wherever it takes you. And so that's pretty much how I get my copy ideas. Uh-huh. Do you subscribe I don't like to something? Yes. Oh, I have a separate <laughs> inbox. And I think I'm on the email list of at least 200 brands at this point. Is this stuff like that copy hackers like teaches or like, you know, because like, I've heard so. that because I'm sure, you know, Nikki uh, Elba. Yes. Yeah, she says the exact same thing. Like she like subscribes to a million emails and she re- spends a lot of time every day just reading emails. Like just- So here's the thing. The one thing you want to be known for, the one thing you are specializing in, the only way you are going to become an expert in it is you keep studying, right? There's no, at no point in my career will I think, okay, I know everything there is to know about this industry and, and my work and like, I don't need to learn anymore. That's just not possible. Right. And so the email geeks community is amazing. Everybody's coming up with these great ideas all the time and they're sharing openly. It's like open university, to be honest. And I keep reading and I keep like saving these ideas that I think are great in my back pocket to use in my own work. And so I copy hackers teaches us to be thinkers. I will say that it teaches you to be a strategist. And but but the only way you can succeed after taking a copy hackers course is if you implement. Right. Uh-huh. And, and that's true for any course. That's true for any training that you take. Uh, you know, my, one of my previous guests was Megan Bashian. And at the end, I, you know, after we were off the call, we have this little chat. And she's, I said, like, you have any ideas who should I have next? And she said, oh, ah, summer. Is it summer Megan's or name. summer? You'd like say, say summer. But like, I feel like God <laughs> calls you summer in Pakistan for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so locally, is it summer or is it? Uh, no, no, it's summer, like the season. Everybody in, in Pakistan, everybody calls me summer because it's a common name here. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so interesting. Because I feel like that sounds so American to me. I mean, like, in Israel, like, no one's named Summer. You know what I mean? Like, the way people pronounce words, it's like, it doesn't, you know. Yeah, be... so so the meaning of my name in Urdu is like a bunch of fruits, right? So a bunch okay. of sweet fruits, whatever, mm-hmm. right? In Arabic, it means long, deep conversations late into the night. Ah, interesting. Right? Okay. So <laughs> this is very different, different names. names. Yeah. So yeah. in the Arabic it's, name, it's Samar. In saying in, in Urdu, it's summer. No, it's pronounced the same in Urdu and Arabic. Ah, okay. Just means different things. Okay. But in Pakistan, people call you Samar or they call you summer? Summer. 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 Yeah. It's okay. it's an Urdu yeah. word. It just sounds something like that. No, but you know, it, say because in, in Hebrew we have, it. you know, what they call mm-hmm. Milra and Mil El. You know what I mean? Where the emphasis of the word is on the first part of the word or on the second part of the word. So Oh, that's you interesting. Know, that doesn't happen in Urdu. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's why I was saying and a name like Samar, like you hear like the, the size, like, the, you know, Mar is the emphasis. So it's like Samar, you know, not like Summer. Anyway, we're getting way off track. <laughs> but um, it's fine. Anyway, let's keep going. Okay, so who are your favorite brands? What do you love reading? <clears throat> that's a loaded question. 
I'm going to say I love reading every single brand that lands in my inbox. And, and the reason being is because every email is teaching me something. But there is a New York-based um, hijab brand. They were also a client of mine. Hot Hijab. Love their emails. Cool. Absolutely love it. Every single social aspect they take a stance on is done in just the right way, right? If a company or if a brand needs to learn how to do email right, they need to study Hot Hijab. They are a business that uh, brand that email I opened. Bloom is a skincare brand whose emails I am absolutely loving these days. There are also a bunch more, but these two are the first ones that are coming to mind right now. What brands do you feel like are doing like the best copy? Yeah, same. Uh, Hot Hijab and Bloom at this point. Yeah, Bloom. They're, they're amazing. All right. Awesome. All right. Do you use templates or frameworks? I mean, it's interesting. Yesterday, um, I, I assume you know who Liz Willits is? Yeah. So yesterday she posted, after I wrote this question, she posted like a template, you know, how to write. Yeah, it was for, I think it was for email. Um, okay. I will but, have to look um, it up. No, I don't. But yeah, I was wondering if you use like a system or like a framework. No, I have a basic, basic wireframe that I start, that, that acts as a starting point for all my emails, like the header, subhead, CTA, email, copy, products, whatever I want to highlight. That's literally okay. it. And then I take it from there. Like I, because I'm an email strategist and copywriter, I don't touch the design aspect of it. So my templates are always like, yes, an email needs to have a header. It needs to have a subhead. It needs to have like two to three lines of right. No, that's I mean, and then that's up to the designer. No, no, no. So maybe I've been doing it for so long. Like I no longer think of in terms of like framework. Uh It's in your head. Ask me to name the frameworks. I apart from PAS, I wouldn't be able to come up with any other ones. But if you were to like, if I were to really think hard, I think PAS is the one that I use the most, right? Problem. What what is PAS? So you state the problem, you agitate the problem, then you offer the solution. Ah, okay. Right? That is the uh, one that I use the most. It's a a good sales call tactic also. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And And it fits perfectly in an e commerce email as well. Okay, cool. All right. So if somebody wanted to up their copy game, what would you suggest, you know, besides taking your course, of course? I'll tell you this. I never suggest taking my course because when I was growing my business, my course wasn't there. I Mm -hmm. learned everything that I learned by doing the work. I did everything like, so I managed to grow my business on my own. Right. And so it'll just take you longer, but if you don't take my course, you can still get there. Right. All my course does is shorten your learning curve. So if you want to up your copy game, start studying emails by other brands, right? Start paying attention to what catches your eye as a consumer. Look at the brands that you're buying from. Like, yes, we are marketers, but we're also human beings who shop online, right? Pay attention to your own shopping habits. See what's working, what's not working, what really turns you off. Then ask yourself, why is it turning me off and how can I make it better? That's how you get good at the copy game. All right. Who are your favorite copywriters to follow on LinkedIn or I don't know? Yeah, so I'm a Twitter person. I am a Twitter person. And I would say for copywriters, gosh, there are so many. But Amy Posner, Joanna Weeb, Prerna Malik, Iman Zabi, Iman Ismail, they're one of my favorites. Amy Williamson is a powerhouse of a copywriter for e-commerce brands. Liana Patch is another. Justin Blackman. Joel Pletke, back in the day when he was doing copywriting. Josh Sway is another I think I'm giving you like seven to eight names at this point. <laughs> but yeah, these are the people I love following on Twitter. That's awesome. All right. So do you have any like favorite like tools or books? I don't. Except for my inbox. I don't. I literally live in my inbox. 
that is my inspiration, everything. And I had my first kid and she's going to turn 12 right now. I haven't finished a business book in 12 years. Like I will start it, but I'm a mom and I will lose interest. And so <laughs> the list of books that I've started that I did not finish is probably in the hundreds. Okay, make, yeah, making so me I, feel better about my own reading I, habits. I, I'm one of those people who does not read books as such, but I read everything I can online. So if I'm sitting on a computer and working, there's probably a long form article that's open. So yeah, even if you're not reading books, just follow the people that you want to learn from. Stalk them online. It's the only acceptable form of stalking. <laughs> Listen to their podcasts, look at what uh, content they're publishing, get on their newsletters, find out who what they're tweeting about and who they're interacting with and then follow them. And that is how you learn. All right. Awesome. All right. Recently, and like in the last few years, like there's become like AI tools for copywriters or to replace copywriters even. Um, thinking of specifically, I've done, and any word is targeting me now. You know, I might have clicked mm-hmm. an ad or something. And Phrasey I've known about for a while, but they've recently like grown and, you know, and they're doing some actually really interesting stuff. Um, I assume you're familiar with both of them. So do you think AI could either supplement copywriters or even replace copywriters? No, I can. I think they can supplement. So they can give a helping hand, right? And I know Sam Woods is doing some amazing things in this space. So I am not going to brush off AI, but will it replace it? Probably not. Will it give copywriters a helping hand? Absolutely, yes. Shitty first drafts might very well be become an AI thing. I know subject lines are, have already been, you know, gamified through AI. Uh, and I use those tools whenever I'm stuck to get ideas, but like still they throw shitty ideas at me, but still it sparks that thought process where like, okay, how can I make this better? But yeah, if you want to sound different from the crowd, you are always going to need a copywriter. AI will make you sound like everybody else. Okay. Yeah. How important do you think it is for brands to develop a single voice? Extremely important. Extremely. So here's the thing. Even if you are, if you've got an email list of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people, when you send out an email, it's going to one person. And so that is your chance to develop a one-on-one relationship, which is why I say email is a communications tool before it's a marketing tool. And so people like hearing from people they know, right? And so if you create a single brand voice that is cohesive across your brand, people will feel affiliated with you they will feel an affinity to you and they will watch out for your emails in their inbox like i watch out for blooms and hot hijabs uh-huh because you uh-huh like i love it all right what do you find you know is the most challenging part of of email copywriting just getting started like the blank page syndrome is very real for me and so i tend to like when i'm really really struck stuck i tend to make a game out of it right what is the shittiest subject line that i could come up with what is the most basic email copy or headline that I can come up with. And then if that doesn't work, I start swearing in my copy, right? These damn socks. (laughs) (laughs) And so I turn it, I take the pressure away, I make it fun. And then it's easy to clean up copy. It's easy to edit copy. It's easy to refine copy. It's impossible to edit something that's not written. And so my whole thing that I find challenging is just getting those words on, on the dock. Uh, once they are there, my life becomes infinitely easier because I can, I can make bad writing good. I can update it. I can edit it. I can polish it up. But if it isn't written, there's nothing I can do with it. Right. All right. We've reached the end and it's sort of like open mic time. So if yeah. you have any final short thoughts you want to share. 
Yeah, absolutely. So for anybody interested in emails, there are so many free resources out there. You don't necessarily have to take a course, but you do need to do the work. So actively educate yourself, whether that's through courses, whether that's through your uh, the free resources out there. Do it. Keep doing the work. And when you reach out to people for help, don't ask basic questions like, how do I break into email? Please do your research. Come up with more intelligent questions so that the person you're reaching out to also realizes that you are doing the work and that it is worth their time to reply to you. All right. Awesome. Summer OS. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciated the time and uh, the openness. And I actually had a really, really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you so much for Absolutely. joining me this morning. Thank you. And, thank you for uh, having me. Yep. Let's be in touch. All right. All right. I'm going to kick you out. All right. That's our show for today. Uh, thank you, everyone who joined and uh, listened and commented. And um, if um, you need a follow up, you can. Um, that's our show for today. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.